And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose. Welcome to episode number 47 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, October 6th, 2014. Well, it's TV season premiere week here in the U.S., and are you excited for the new show, Gotham? Are you getting creeped out by Stalker or The Blacklist? Are you ready for the final season of Sons of Anarchy? Well, just know that there are no summer reruns when it comes to your two friends, Robert and Joe, here at This Old Marketing. Every week is season premiere week for us, and every week you always get new and fresh Everything we talk about in content marketing here at This Old Marketing, and you can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, thanks to listener Aaron Thomas for this awesome review that he gave us when he said, it's a weekly treat. I've listened to every episode of this podcast. I've tripled my understanding of content marketing and native advertising. Listen to two episodes and you'll get hooked. That's a quote, folks. You can triple, triple your knowledge of content marketing by listening to this wonderful show. So after your second episode, do stop on by the blog post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we rant and rave about here. All right, enough of that. It's time to get on with the show and get rocking and rolling here. Welcome my colleague, my co-host, my good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio, the always great, always fresh, the must-see TV of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend, and where are you? I, I could not be better. I'm in, uh, I'm in Boston. The beautiful city of Boston today. Oh, I love Boston. And uh, yeah, this is a this is rare. Usually, one of us is at home base, but now we're both yeah. out and about. You're in New York, correct? That is correct. I am here in the lovely Manhattan. You may hear sirens going by. It is the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, busy week this week. Uh, we've got I've got uh, some speaking engagements with Brightcove and Smartling, and then I'm off at uh, Marketing Pros B two B on on Thursday before I head back. And and you have a couple as well. Correct. I do. Yeah, I do. I'm working with the uh, the wonderful folks at Scholastic uh, tomorrow, which will be a fun, fun day. And then I'm speaking at the uh, C3, the conductor uh, hosted conference here in Manhattan, the C3 conference, they call it. We're just spreading content marketing love all over the East Coast this week. That is what we do, isn't it? We're spreading the love. <laughs> and how about Aaron, man? I, I love that. Uh... That little snippet from our reviews. I, I, I thought that was the best ever. They, he's, uh, he's now my new favorite person. So thank you for listening. And, uh, thank you, Aaron. And I guess if other people would like to give reviews, maybe we'll call them out on, on the air as well. Maybe. 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 <laughs> oh, it's going right. to be one of those shows, folks. It's I can already tell. It's I late think, at yeah. night. We've both been traveling. Uh, anything right. could happen here. Absolutely. And I've had Estella already, so there you have oh, that. Oh, this is going to be an especially interesting episode. On to the news then, our top story. Um, this one comes from Marketing Land, and it's a really interesting uh, story. Um, and I loved it because you know we've talked about BuzzFeed here uh, on the show before, and Jonah Peretti, who of course runs BuzzFeed. And he was uh, at, a, at a conference and talked about really the idea of viral content and how to get content to, to go viral. And one of the things that he said, and this sort of introduces the article, is he says, all of the BuzzFeed producers ask themselves when they're trying to generate content, would I share this? And I thought that was, a, first of all, a really interesting thing. Of course, he goes into much more detail than this. And he talks about how BuzzFeed has built this thriving business 
that's now estimated, you know, north of $800 million um, on the basis of basically that simple question, would I share this? And I, I love it for that simplicity. And he says 75% of the traffic for BuzzFeed now comes from social referrals, including emails and, of course, instant messages. What I mean, did you see that? What did you think about this? Well, what I really liked about this article, he was talking about the opportunities in in super niche content. And, of course, you and I have been talking about this forever where most of the companies we, we work with, they want to go so broad. And, they, oh, we're, we want to cover technology. <laughs> or we want to cover something. And, and Peretti says it is so um, – there's so much of an opportunity today to go super niche. Like he was talking about left – you know content for left-handed people who grow up in southeast whatever right right? exactly and i think that's i love that because they've got so many people focusing on really niche content and what he says is especially with the new facebook algorithm they're not hitting as many home runs virally as they used to but they're getting more consistency so he really gives a shout out to facebook's new algorithm and says it's really working in their favor especially because you've got certain people with certain interests that like it, feed it to their network, and those niche stories do really, really well. Yeah, it was it was really you know I mean I, I he basically when he when he was giving the props to Facebook he was saying you know for us to succeed in the long term as a content business he says we've got to know that when we make content and it gets traffic that it's actually a signal of quality and not just some quirk of the algorithm which I love not only for the social aspect of that. But for the search, you know, because so much of content marketing has been built on this idea of, you know, keywords and search engine optimization and building for the algorithm and building for Google and building for Bing and all this kind of thing. And I love this idea of really focusing in and where they have found success on focusing on content quality and how really focusing in on this one simple question of would I share this is sort of the the, what they live and die, and, you know, and it and it has become, of course, search engine optimized by that very nature because of the social signal in search now, and uh, all of the rest of it, sort of generating more time on site, more engagement. Wasn't it BuzzFeed that where we saw that it, their their mobile engagement rate was like off the charts, huge? I think uh, so. Yeah, yeah, because of that. What did you think of the comments on Twitter, which I thought were interesting? So just a little feedback for everyone listening. Um, Facebook, he says Facebook has an oppor- way bigger opportunity than Twitter because of the fact that they, serv- they surface relevant posts. So they can figure out your behavior and they're going to surface posts that, that, that they think that you would like. Twitter, on the other hand, doesn't do that because you have, you know, you're either following hashtags or you follow followers. So you follow, you, you look at what you follow. Right. And so he's thinking this is a strength for Facebook because they can look at the data and show this content to people, but Twitter can't do this. Now there's talk. And even Peretti says that he's, he thinks that they should do this is to surface relevant content based on, I guess, your followers or what you click through on. or what, What's your take on that? Do you have any take on, on the future of Twitter from this article? Well, I would think that, I mean, Twitter will, I, I think Twitter will do it ultimately. Um, you know, I think, you know, look, Twitter's a little different in the way that you consume content because, quite frankly, most of what happens on Twitter gets consumed either by hashtag search or, you know, nobody goes to their daily feed. And well, it's all real time. Yeah. Right. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's all it's, real it's, time. But but what, what he makes the case for is that as Facebook's algorithm is getting better and their news feed is getting better, they're taking a little bit away from Twitter's thunder. 
Because when you want real-time information, you go right to Twitter, right? Because, oh, what's everybody talking about? But he's That's saying right. that Facebook is getting better at doing that. So is that going to take away Twitter? I, I don't – I mean, he doesn't say that this is the way it's going to so. be. But I, I just think it's an in, it's interesting to see as we're putting our eggs in certain baskets looking at Facebook versus Twitter, you know, where the opportunities are. So Yeah, absolutely. And one other note on the niche thing because it reminded me uh, so much of – uh, Alexis Ohanian, who you know, who and his new book, of course, um, and, and we interviewed him for Chief Content Officer uh, magazine, and he talked about exactly that too, right? Which is the idea of get you can't get too niche, right? You know, looking for the left-handed, you know, people from Minnesota and targeting that, you know, that that's an interesting. Are there any left-handed the people in Minnesota? I just, <laughs> I, think I, I didn't are. know. I didn't know if you had to be I right-handed. Think just, I think I've just started a new publication. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start left-handed people from Minnesota.com. And St. Really Paul, St. Paul lefties. That's right. There we go. That, there you go. It's an, there's right. a new publication out. I'm taking <laughs> out. The, I'm taking out the domain name right now. But it, it would be wonderful to actually go – anyway, if you, if you have not read Alexis's book, it's a really interesting one that talks – if you're interested in that kind of topic, he talks about it as well. How that has made Reddit really succeed is this idea of super niche content and how it – how you really can drive – Social sharing through, by, you know, by by really focusing in on on a niche there. So. Which, which, by the way, just to conclude this, which which why is why small businesses have an advantage over larger enterprises because it's so hard for larger enterprises to go super niche. It's a great point. And small businesses, you can do that at will because you can really just focus on the niche that you have. I That's mean, that right. goes back when you and I were doing the LinkedIn. Um, workshop in Toronto. What was that? About six or six or eight months ago, where we were talking to the very large technology company with the blog that had eighteen different audiences. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, you know, we're like, how's that working for you? Well, not yeah. very good. <laughs> so that's where for you small business owners out there that are saying, well, you don't have the budget or you don't have the bandwidth, uh, you have an opportunity to go way more niche. And this is what you know. This is what we're going to have to do any size company is really yeah. go and separate who's the audience, who's the niche, almost like Huffington Post has done where, you know, they used to be just into politics. Now they get 75 channels focused on 75 different audiences. So that's right. That's right. Well, maybe we should go more niche, right? Maybe we should really focus in on a couple of niches of content marketing, like uh, maybe inbound marketing or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, I just, move on. I just bit right into to, the microphone. Had, I'm so that, sorry. That's <laughs> That layup I just had to do. All right, oh, moving on God, to the next yes. story. This is one that's paired up. A couple of stories that we found that were really interesting that I know is going to be near and dear to your heart uh, coming from the print world. Um, two stories. The first is that Louis Vuitton is launching a new magazine, which is a fantastic uh, example of content marketing here. Um, and they announced the article, and, and, and it was covered all over the place. And this article comes to us from The Telegraph in, in the U.K., and the interesting thing is, is they're saying, you know, basically that they are not, is this not a fashion magazine necessarily um, that they're, that they're launching, but they're, they're launching this idea of, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be going out to their customers, basically translated into 11 languages. Um, and as they say, select customers yep. globally. Um, and I just thought this was a really interesting, you know, this kind of reminds me of that What's the – is it the, the, the Pirelli calendar or the, the calendar the – Michel- no, it's not the Michelin calendar. Which calendar is it? The, the wonderful calendar that the, the girls, the models all, all do every year. It's a, it's a really interesting um, 
corollary, I think, uh, to this, to this, where this high, very high quality magazine getting produced by a brand. I don't know the calendar, but I, I want the magazine that, that these are really, by the way, wasn't it Nanad Senek? Shout out to him for it uh, sending is a big, this to a big you. hat tip to, to, to Nanad for this. Thank yeah, you, sir. Exactly. Appreciate it. What I love about it is, well, first of all, they're launching it 126 pages in 11 languages, but my favorite line was the one you covered select customers. I mean, they're yeah. not just sending it out to their entire customer list. They're really focusing on probably their high value customers. I'm assuming trying to have them do, you know, cross selling, upselling, whatever the case is. I, I'm assuming that's the case. So that's the one takeaway I had. The second thing is I've been calling it for a couple of years and sooner or later, I'm going to be right that we're going to see more and more brands like this invest in print. And what we saw from the research, the uh, B2B content marketing research that we just released with uh, marketing profs, it's flatlined. Like there's there's not the last couple years, the investment into print custom magazines and newsletters have not gone down. So I think we're seeing that we've sort of hit the bottom with it. And we're going to see, I think more, pro- it's hard to, it's hard to even say this without laughing, more progressive <laughs> marketers look at print as an option uh, to cut through the clutter. And I, I don't think there's ever been a better opportunity, especially, in, and I have to say this because it's so critical, and I'll, I'll give away some secret sauce that we do. We've had these conversations, Robert. But why the magazine is so important to us, so Chief Content Officer Magazine, is because of the data. People give up so much more data to get print than they do anything else. Yeah, exactly right. They will tell you anything. If you they like your magazine, they will give up the name of their children and their grandchildren and they'll give, you know, the the lockbox away to their bank. They'll give a lot up to get a quality print magazine. And now that a lot of brands are realizing this, I think there's going to be more because then that feeds right into your online marketing, right into your marketing automation. Uh, right into your CRM system. So yeah, I think it's, it's, absolutely. It, it's, I'm very excited to see, and I'm looking forward to seeing this magazine actually called the book. Yeah. Well, the book. And it's, and, 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 and it was also, we paired it with this article that came from right source marketing, um, who sourced our research as part of, uh, uh the writer here, Yvonne Lyons, who, who wrote an article talking about exactly that, all of the reasons that print was still alive and well. And she's, you know, it's funny. She's almost apologetic in the front saying, Hey, I like print there. I said it, I'm there. I, you know, I'm, I'm in for this. Um, and basically as you know, they're a digital marketing consultancy and, and in this blog post, she goes on to talk about why print continues to work. Um, which is a, you know, sort of enumerates all the reasons you just, you know, you just went through, including our research, which still finds that, uh, well, people always say that the biggest uh, neg- negative against print is that how expensive it is. Because when you look at the uh, print production and distribution costs, it does get a little bit pricey. But you have to look at it as what what is the value of that subscriber, and if and that's what you really look at. What is the what is the return on that subscriber that engages in that magazine, and then how much does it cost you? Just like you would do everything else. That's Just, right. And and. Just they almost look at the number and say, "Oh my gosh, I can't spend that much for for print." But don't look at it as the cost; look at it the return. That's right. So, and I think more and more companies are going to do that. So, yeah, I love this article where they're talking about that print has a long shelf life; it has no spam folder. I mean, there's some really good points in this article. So, credible medium. I mean, it is it is funny. I mean, I've talked about the, they mentioned this because I wrote an article on the value of print I wrote many of them but the one that they, <laughs> the one that they they called out specifically was 
the fact that when we go and interview somebody for a print uh, for for one of the articles in Chief Content Officer magazine, they never turn us down for an interview. Every I mean, like we get turned down a lot for online. We never get turned down for print because people see it as more valuable. It's just odd, but it's true. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, and by the way, I found the uh, the calendar I was thinking of. So so. In the service to you, listeners, how much I love you, I went out and found it was the it's the Pirelli calendar, and so we'll have two examples actually of this old marketing in this episode. So the Pirelli calendar is a trade calendar published by Pirelli Companies UK subsidiary. It goes dates back to 1964. The calendar is famous for its limited availability. It's only given as a corporate gift to restricted numbers of important Pirelli customers and celebrity VIPs, and it features famous actresses and models. Um, some of which, by the way, are not safe for work. So, you know, be careful if you search Google for this because there's all sorts of, well, some might call it wonderfulness. Some might call it something else, but, um, there is, it's not, uh, it's not to be done for the faint of heart. So that's the, uh, that's the Pirelli calendar. Very good. Well, we'll, we'll uh, put that in the show notes as well. Well, yeah. I guess maybe not you the You can picture. put the Wikipedia. Yeah. I'll, there I'll, we go. I'll, we'll put the Wikipedia link in there. <laughs> place, you can place image here. It. And then, yes, and yeah, exactly, and Google at your own risk. Um, okay, well, it wouldn't be a this old marketing without a ding, ding, ding mention of native advertising. Here we are. Um, and this uh, comes to us from, of all places, Forbes, irony duly noted. And the headline is, Are Publishers Selling Their Souls with Native Advertising? And the author goes on to introduce basically, you know, what was once apparent, and, and we've had this discussion before, but there's an interesting twist here, which I think is uh, worth discussing, um, where they basically, you know, this was a conversation. The last week was Ad Week here in New York City, so I missed it, but uh, Ad Week was here, and the discussion was had between, uh, uh, as they call her, Vendra, uh, veteran marketing maven Wenda Harris uh, Millard who is the president and CEO uh, of MediaLink, and she was arguing in favor of native advertising while, and as they say, longtime media critic, media post columnist, and NPR's on the media host Bob Garfield was basically repeating his critique of native advertising. And so they were basically up on stage at Ad Week this week debating the pros and cons of native advertising. And this author then goes on to talk about how really once again we are going through this transparency thing where we need to make sure that it's all labeled correctly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you, Joe, about this. But before I do that, did you have a sort of overall take on this? Well, the one thing I I, dis, I find it hard to believe, um, Millard noted here that 75% of publishers are running native ads. I'll buy that. 41% of brands are currently using them. I do not buy that. There's I no that way that, yeah. that 41% of brands, I mean, the brands are just starting to figure this thing out. So there's right. no way that four out of ten brands are using native. Unless so, they put in there, like you know, putting an ad on Facebook is somehow native ad. Oh, that, well, that, then that's fine. But this kind of native, where they're because the native that that's the that's the interesting thing. There's all kinds of native advertising, right? Na native advertising technically right. is pay per click advertising as well. The native advertising right. they're arguing yeah. about is that I'm going to write an article and pay for it and have it go in the New York Times. Right. As, it, as you might in Forbes brand voice, for example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. is why it's so interesting that this is on, on Forbes. No, I, I had the same takeaway as you did, and, and we talked about it a little bit before, 
they get into this argument about well so garfield is all about this thing with transparency so he says is that, that really the only art well, i mean that seems to be like oh, i'm just you know it's like is that going to be the only argument that it's like if we got over that would native advertising take off i, well, I just well here's yeah. a, we you know we've we've joked about it before where if you go to to new york times uh, native posts there's i think there's 13 different labels warning labels that say beware you're about <laughs> to engage in a native ever or sponsored piece of content uh, but what I want to talk about the transparency thing, but what I thought was interesting that I didn't really think about, but it's so true because we've talked about it before. Garfield says sponsored content is literally meaningless because every word in a publication is actually sponsored. Yeah, of course. So I'm like, you know, I'm all about that. That is so true. So when you say sponsored content, really every everything in the on the site, in the magazine, in the newspaper is all sponsored because somebody's exactly. paying, I mean, that's, paying for it. That's, it's it's you know this this gets to we've we've we, and we have talked about this before in terms of native advertising it's just you know your comfort with native your comfort with publishing in general is how far away are you from the money right you know so how far you know when you're reading an article how far away is it from the money is it right next to the ad or is it within the ad or is it on, only on the cover or is it sponsored or you know how far away is the money is really the question and and your comfort level there sort of indicates your level of comfort with journalism and and as we've also discussed many times on the show it's it's you know it's it's easier for some publishers than others right so for example it's harder for news and harder news especially yep. than it would be for celebrity or you know you know sort of more ephemeral sort of topics that are that are that are more pop culture focused. But so. no, so so like back to this whole thing about transparency because we should chat about this. He, basically, Garfield says that a label is not enough. Thirteen labels is not enough. He wants a different font, a different style, a different color. Maybe he wants it on a different PC. I don't know what he wants exactly, <laughs> but he wants it so so obvious that it's a piece of advertising. You know, honestly, I think he it should just be advertising. It, it should just be not content at all. And I think then that's well, that's of course he would be happy with that. But the question, I don't think the issue is transparency. That's a well, I, is it? It's a, is this so all we a, have? So here's so here's a really interesting. I, I think that's a such an interesting point because here's because the, the author then goes on to say something I actually really do agree with, which is the lack of creativity in advertising more broadly, right? Whether it's banner ads or um, you know uh, you know full quarter page ads, full page ads, whatever it is in a print magazine, that there's a lack of creativity happening now when it comes to ads because of the focus, especially in the digital realm, because of the focus on efficiency right now. You know, like right now, it's all about programmatic. It's all about efficiency. It's all about eyeballs for clicks and how much, you know, what, what can those, you know, the numerator be and the denominator be and how can I get that most efficient to my ad buy because of the the general, you know, uh, exponential growth in, in, in digital media. It's all about now how do I get the most efficient ad buy and creativity if you look at the average banner ad or average digital ad is just, you know, is out the window. It's there's, it's just not there, but this brings up a really good point and, and it relates to what you just said, because, okay, if it's in a different font, a different size font with a different image, a different color with a border around it and a big thing that says at what, at what point does it just become an ad that, you know, it's just, it's, and, and then I get really creative with, 
the different font, the different color, and I just create a full page ad that looks kind of like an article. And now it's an now does that have the same objection? It's like this really interesting line that you have to sort of when does a you know when does a pile of stones become a pile? Is it two? Is it three? Is it five? Is it ten? You know when does an ad become an ad? Is and and that's a really interesting line for publishers to have to draw, um, and it's an even more interesting line for advertisers to try and break. It's a great point, and it's interesting that they talk about Forbes in here, which I guess they they were talking on stage and said oh, it's more transparent than most. But I don't think the transparency issue is the reason why Forbes brand vo- so Forbes brand voice is lauded usually as a success. And just so everybody knows, you can pay fifty thousand to seventy-five thousand dollars a month, and you can get your own brand voice program and sponsor that. And good for you. Now the issue is, <laughs> the issue is, and you and I have can both. Can I guess that brand voice is not going to be a sponsor of our show anytime soon? I love the folks over there. By the way, I have no They're problem great. with them. But the yeah. problem I have is, is I don't think the transparency issue is is the reason why Forbes brand voice content doesn't work. It's because the content is not in line with any kind of editorial mission. And the content is actually not good. Right. It is not relevant. It is not useful. It is not interesting. And they're basically letting more of that sponsored content go that is bringing down the Forbes brand, which is the reason why they had trouble selling Forbes because nobody knows who Forbes audience is anymore because anybody's allowed to publish content on there, including sponsors. That, I think, is the bigger issue. So if you – I almost don't have as much of a problem – and maybe no problem at all if the sponsored content on the site was as good or better, I'll say or better, as good as the content that was being created by the publication itself because it right. was it'd be adding value. And I think that's what real that's what native advertising should be. It should really add value instead of trying to pitch, but I think a lot of the content out there is just not good. It's off voice. It's it should have never happened in the see, first place. Well, it'll be interesting to see if the growth pains of native advertising will ultimately spell its doom before it before people have a chance to get good at it you know what i mean and and because it will take time for some somebody will get really good at it yeah and if that happens it'll be really interesting to see if that then takes off or if it you know basically publishers will give up on it before they even have a chance to get good at it well it's it's so it's it's worth going into a couple different models here if you're if you go and you sign up to forbes brand voice you can be a representative sap is was one of the partners that pay for this you can i could work at sap and i could start creating content once i'm an approved person and there's somebody editing it or approving it and it's it goes into publication schedule so that's one way to do it the other way to do it is like how New York Times does it, how Wall Street Journal does it, where they actually have editors that work directly with the brands and help them create the content directly. There is a production workflow flow process that goes along with that, and they're really trying to figure out what's the goal. How does that in line with our editor? I mean, they're really working on it. And yeah. that, that I think, is, is you're right. I think down the road, there's this partnership uh, works, you know, where where basically the Wall Street Journals of the world are giving away their editorial and content insight to to tell them kind of open the kimono, and we covered it, I think, on a couple podcasts ago, where this is what the Wall Street Journal is doing, and we we need to let our uh, sponsors that are doing this understand what makes good content, what makes shareable content, 
what are we trying to get out of this piece of content? And re- and it just takes a lot longer, and it's 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 painful to go through, but you're gonna get a, you're gonna get more compelling so- stories. Well, that's an it. interesting so. point as well, because if these publishers start to get really good at this, and make marketers really good at this, guess who's gonna start seeing more business, and guess who's gonna start missing out on business? Agencies. Um, you know, yeah, exactly, right. So you know, th- this is. There is every incentive in the world for agencies to learn how to get good at this and fast because I'm already getting um, – I can tell you anecdotally. I have no empirical evidence of this, but anecdotally when I go out and do workshops and, 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 and these advisory days with big enterprise clients, they're asking me, why am I not engaging with these publisher boutique agencies for my content, all of the content that I need for, across different channels? And I'm like, you should definitely explore it. I think you know, it's gonna. It's, ha- it's a great point, Robert. I think it's gonna happen. I mean, when I was, at, you know, working at Pet and Custom Media, this is a decade ago. We won a couple of deals over smaller agencies to do this type of work. Yeah, and we were going up. And this is this is a decade ago. Today, I mean, if I'm gonna go and say, okay, should I work with this agency over here, or maybe I should work with Wall Street Journal or New York Times or Tribune or something like, I mean. I, <laughs> That's t- that's yeah. that's a really good value proposition to say. I'm going to work with a group that really understands how to tell compelling stories, and they're just finally tar- starting to figure out those brands, are, those uh, magazines, those publication brands. They're starting to figure out the marketing side of it. That's right. Which I think that's is exactly is right. is no offense to any marketers. It's easier to figure out the marketing side of it than the other way around. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of that, um, and speaking of sort of up-and-comers and fast movers in the content marketing space. Uh, our last article uh, for the week comes from our good friend, Rebecca Lee. And she. this comes to us courtesy of uh, iMedia Connection, which uh, you'll be at the, you're at the B2B Summit. Uh, at, uh, and so you'll, um, oh no, that's the marketing process. Sorry. Different yeah, one. No, this is marketing process. Yeah, this is you'll I-Media be at Connection. the B2B Summit, won't you? I will not, no, no, no. I We're, not. We weren't invited. Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> Sadly, my invitation yep. got lost in the mail Something there, like too. Something like that. Um, but our good friend Rebecca writes a wonderful, wonderful, very short uh, post uh, and wonders whether the all the new entrants, especially on the technology side of content marketing, really know she calls it in only a way that Rebecca, if you know Rebecca, can get away with, calls it the age of parochial content marketing, which I just, I love that term. Um, And if you know Rebecca, that's so Rebecca. Um, And she said it's a trend we've seen in the past when new marketing channels suddenly erupt into prominence. And most recently she saw it, and we've seen it, of course, in social media, which is basically, you know, a few years ago, everybody was a social media uh, technology and you had social media this and social media that and now it's content marketing. Every technology company is somehow now a, tech, a content marketing technology and you've got email companies and you know workflow companies and analytics companies and they're all now content marketing solutions. And I would go one further. I don't know your take on this, Joe, but I would actually go one further. You're starting to you see the agencies are doing this just as uh, to our previous discussion. You've got SEO agencies are now content marketing agencies and social media agencies are now content marketing agencies and ad agencies are now content marketing agencies. And you've got all these new con- – everybody is getting content marketing, which is not helping, by the way, uh, all of the uh, you know all of the terminology that we've been uh, – you know that, that, that came around last week. Um, it's not helping draw any real clarity to this. 
Um, did you, did you, you saw the article obviously, but did you have a take on it? I was, no, I'm actually reading it right now. I'm trying to find yeah. if she's mentioning any inbound marketing companies out there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I had to yeah. you, you open the door for me. No, <laughs> we've been, well, these are going to be layups you realize that are going to happen for the next couple of uh, weeks. You but, know? but the, uh, for those of you that are, are listening to your first podcast, just listen to the one right before this and it'll all become clear. <laughs> no, I mean, and what I like about it, she's saying this is some of this is good because it means that the content marketing as an industry is maturing. We're, we're entering the mainstream. It's starting to, to be recognized as a real practice, but then she goes into the dark side where there's a lot of confusion and you have yeah. people, you know, and especially the agencies, that's where I see it the most is where it, they were a search agency and now all of a sudden they're a content marketing agency. They were an email agency and now they're all of a sudden the content marketing. They just focused on video, but now it's content marketing services. That's right. So it's just interesting. We had a lot of that me too go on and, I think that you know it's good and bad. I think we can fight through it and just keep doing the education, and we'll get there. But it it's better than the other way around. So I mean, I remember when you and I were talking to people in two thousand seven and two thousand eight. Everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" And they thought right. that we were we just needed to go away into a dark corner. So at least now that they're starting to listen and, and they're coming around our side. Now it's an opportunity for us, I think, to really educate. But it's a great. The, I would have never thought of the parochial content yeah. marketing well that's rebecca but and, and you know the, the it is as you know made famous with gartner it is the peak of the hype cycle right it is when we are you know it is when education is needed the most and quite frankly it's where the real work begins um you know because now is the time where it's going you know if content marketing is truly going to be something useful for the business it has to get beyond the buzz and it has to get into the reality of actually making something work for you know, work productively for the business. But no matter where it, it it works in the business. More education. We just have to keep pounding on doors. Absolutely. Well, speaking of pounding on doors, we have a new sponsor this week. Dun da da da. Oh, I'm so excited. We love new sponsors. We we, we, do we love new sponsors. absolutely love it. our new sponsor today is Actron. Woo-hoo. And uh, we love. I've Act- known those guys for years. We, we, I've known those guys when they were a little itty bitty bitty company, and I've known Bill Rogers and those guys for a long time. They are just a, a first class outfit. And now they've really made it to the top because they're sponsoring. That's absolutely <laughs> this old right. Marketing. They finally realized that sponsoring this old marketing was the thing that was going to send them into the stratosphere. And of course, it wouldn't be uh, this <laughs> this old marketing. Uh, sponsorship without really really good content and uh, and Joanne over at Ectron gave us this really good piece of content that we wanted to talk about. It's a five minute guide to rebranding and redesigning your website. I ran through it today because I just received the information. What I like about it, it really is a five minute guide. If you're thinking about rebranding or redesigning your website, you really need to take a look at this because you, Robert, you know this better because you grew up in content management, web design, and all this stuff. Companies redesign their websites for a whole lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's customer engagement or lead gen or revenue, or sometimes they don't even know. Somebody just doesn't like the look of it. And then I think what we're seeing, and you've, you've mentioned this a lot, Robert, while IT used to set a lot of the website priorities, now it's marketing That's right. doing that. So what the, uh, what the ebook here talks about from Ectron here, digital marketers typically want to the ability to do four things. So what they talk about this in the ebook, publish content without IT involvement, 
target content to specific audiences, integrate with third-party applications like web analytics, CRM, marketing automation, and then boost con- conversions. So this is what the 5-Minute Guide to Rebranding and Redesigning Your Website talks about. Give it 5 minutes. Please go to bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand to download this. Please do and support our sponsors. And, of course, it'll be up on Saturday with the post as well, and you'll be able to link or uh, to click on it there as well. But thanks to our new sponsor, we super, super appreciate them being it a part. So long for fantastic. the ride. Oh, I cannot wait it. to check that out. I am just super, super excited to check that out. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the favorite time of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that's got our hackles up or something that we have just a little bit of heart love for. Um, And so I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week. And uh, I have a rave this week. Two weeks in a row I have a rave. That's a record. That might be the first. It might be a first. It might be a first. But... Ad week was last week. Uh, we talked a little bit about that on the show just a few minutes ago, and um, I didn't get to go. But uh, it, the very interesting thing at the the Clio Awards were also, of course, last week as well. And Jerry Seinfeld won uh, a Clio Award. And for those of you who may be under a rock or don't know who Jerry Seinfeld is, he had his own TV show and, of course, is a very, very famous comedian here in the U.S. And uh, Jerry being Jerry went up and did an acceptance speech for his Clio Award. And just gave a phenomenal speech. And and the reason I wanted to make this my rave is because after last week and what we talked about and all of the things that we do in content marketing and marketing and everything that sort of happens in our business, it's very easy to get trapped in the inside baseball and sort of lose sort of perspective on the reality of what we do is pretty silly. Um, and we need to sort of keep that in mind, I think. And anytime I think marketing finds itself, I used to have a boss a long, long, long time ago who would refuse to let us take ourselves too seriously. And his saying was, it's just marketing. (laughs) You know, we're not curing cancer here. It is just marketing. And we are both blessed and also, uh, you know, to be able to do this something where we can be creative and do things that are fun and interesting and innovative, but also, quite frankly, are is a little silly. And what he talked about in this acceptance speech, which I just absolutely loved, was in a way that you really couldn't – it's in typical Seinfeld way. You really couldn't tell whether he was serious or whether he was actually making comment on it. He goes on to talk about how he loves getting this award because, quite frankly, he loves – being in commercials because advertising is lying and he loves to lie. (laughs) And my favorite, I think my favorite line, and I won't spoil the whole thing because you'll just have to go out and watch it. But I think my, my favorite line is when he says, if things don't make you happy, you're just not buying the right thing. I know that was a great line. (laughs) I love that line. And basically I just loved it as a video and it's one that I'll save in my bookmarks for whenever I feel like I'm taking myself too seriously. And I'll just go replay that and just understand that, as he says, in advertising, everything is the way that you wish it was. It's that moment between experiencing the commercial and getting the product i'm happy because we know the product's going to suck that's my i love that he says we know the product is going to stink yeah but, but maybe this one won't right. maybe this is the it's, one time where the one... moment 
that moment between the commercial and when you actually go buy the product is when you're happiest. And so as and then and then what just is great is he actually picks up his trophy and says, "The moment I'm going to pick up this trophy, and as soon as I get to the edge of the stage, I'll stop being happy." <laughs> it's just it's, it's worth a watch. So it's like watch it's it. not yeah, even totally five minutes long. It's less than five minutes. No, it's, it's four so, minutes. It's so just worth fantastic. the watch. Yeah, I saw that on uh, on Facebook this week. Uh, very very good stuff. All right. Well, I have a I have a rant this week, and uh, oh, I've got to I've got to give a little Glad shout one out. Of us does. Well, <laughs> like we haven't been ranting the entire episode. <laughs> uh, this comes from Gary Hunt, a listener. Thank you, Gary, for sending this on. So Gary um, sent me this item from Jerry McGovern's, and and you and I both know Jerry. You've you've met Jerry before. I've not met Jerry, right? Oh, I've, I I know Jerry. You've well. spoken, yeah. You've done a keynote with him I've in had a, I've um, Amsterdam had a or something. Pints, like I've that. had yeah, I've had yeah. a couple of pints with Jerry. There you go. So Jerry, super smart guy, and uh, and Gary sent uh, over a link to his newsletter where he talks about uh, content fake marketing, and I really have to rant on this one because um, I I don't I think, I think Jerry was drunk. I think Jerry lost lost his marbles on this one. So. <laughs> So basically, let me read this from Gary because Gary Hunt sent this along really good. So so Gary says, I've read Jerry's stuff for years. Really smart guy, usually nails things. But what what, uh, Jerry talks about in this is that it's a bad thing uh, for for, – bad thing for content marketers that consumers are becoming more savvy. So he basically talks about the fact that consumers are – are silly and they don't know what they're doing and basically we're throwing one over as content marketers over on these consumers and <laughs> which I don't really get at all that the Jerry's saying this whole thing. And the other thing that I don't get, he talks Jerry talks about the idea that the Cokes and Red Bulls are what we say is some of the best examples of content marketing. But Jerry goes on a rant there just because he doesn't believe in what Coke and Red Bull sells. Basically he calls them legal drugs. And right, the fact that right. they're marketing this way is manipulation, is a manipulation technique. And I'm like, seriously? Because you don't agree in what they're selling that they can't do content marketing? And that's basically what, I mean, are, am I reading this right? Is, is that what Jerry's saying, Robert? Just, yeah, well, and then he goes on, he makes the comparison that, you know, uh, that Marriott in the same week announces that they're, they're going to have a content marketing studio which we talked about on last week's show and then says that marriott also got caught uh basically blocking people's wi-fi signals in the middle of their hotels and somehow conflates those two issues to saying that content marketing is not going to solve that mistrust with users and so it's like i'm not sure how he conflates those two things to say that content marketing is the reason that (laughs) that it's it's a very well, odd conflation of it's things. weird yeah because he talks about this manipulation and basically he says humans are foolish irrational creatures div- driven by emotions more than logic we're easy to manipulate and then talks about this whole thing like content marketing is a way of manipulation and then he goes through and talks about and i do agree when he says less clutter more simplicity i totally agree with that but he's Absolutely. equating he's equating content marketing as clutter in almost all situations and I'm like, why is right. it shouldn't be clutter? It should be super useful and valuable. And I think, I mean, Jerry has a long history of uh, content management that he's been on, and I'm sure he's seen millions of sites that have so much out of date, bad content on it. But this is that you can't say that that's content marketing necessarily. We don't know. Uh, right. 
I, I and, just well, he and I have talked about that. He and I talked about that at the last conference, which was this idea that of less content is better, and that you know he he talked about he and he gives this case study all the time that he actually mentions in his newsletter there of the of the company that actually removed some percentage, some very high percentage of the content on their website and actually performed better. And I don't disagree with that one little bit, but it has nothing to do with content marketing and conflating the issue of content marketing with how your product does or does not create mistrust or performs in the marketplace more broadly. I mean, that just has nothing to do. I mean, by that logic, we shouldn't be watching beer commercials because beer is alcohol and is somehow bad for us. But that's where, see, that's where the, yeah, that's where the argument doesn't play because if you're going to make this argument that you don't agree with what Coke and Red Bull are doing, then they shouldn't be, I mean, then you say it's bad for them to advertise too. And they're spending so much more money on traditional marketing than they are content marketing. I mean, Coke, Coke spend, and we know that it's in the millions of dollars. It's such a small percentage of what they're spending overall right now. Oh, it's a it's a rounding error. So you, yeah, I mean, you, they're the you largest can't... consumer of media uh, and agency services on the planet. Coca Cola is. So I don't so get. It's... Yeah, I, I I don't get it. I mean the 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 one thing is the last thing that I'll say on this is it almost insin- Jerry almost insinuates that he'd like to see more content about the product, not on lifestyle content. He's specifically talking about Coke and Red Bull. Is that really what we need? We need more content about the product. Is that <laughs> do people really need that? I don't think so. I don't think anybody's uh, waking up in the morning and say, I oh, mean, I really want to know what's in Red Bull. I really, you know, and by the way, did you, <laughs> did you on Red I Bull? I actually would like to know what's in Red Bull. <laughs> well, did, I just I just saw on Facebook, I have to check if it's true. There was some lawsuit, class action lawsuit, where yeah, the whole Red Bull was. gives you wings exactly things. Right. Yeah, you can get $10 or a product. Seriously, Basically, there's people you, out yeah. there that thought that if they drank Red Bull, they would give them, them wings? That's right. And because they didn't get wings, now I get 10 bucks? That is correct. That is I better correct. make a well, call because well, I yes. definitely don't have any wings here. I did not get wings. I, I, did, not, I did not get wings, literally. But I, I thought <laughs> it was because of the vodka mixture, actually. Right. I thought the vodka took away my wings where the Red Bull was giving They're me gonna, wings. They should change their tagline to, you'll figuratively get wings. <laughs> <laughs> Just you understanding know? the difference between literally and figuratively. I, I don't even know where to go with the rest of that. <laughs> Maybe we should move on. I think to we this should just. Why don't, you, why don't you do this old marketing? We'll get the heck out of here. Fantastic. Well, this uh, is in celebration of the uh, the the Louis Vuitton announcement. I wanted to pull this one up. This is one I've known about for quite a while. Um, it, it's Dolce and Gabbana have produced a print magazine uh, for the last oh goodness gracious almost I, I think it's more than seven and a half years now. Um, called Swede, S-W-I-D-E. Um, they have a website at Swede.com, and it is a fashion magazine, and it is a wonderfully done fashion magazine. Um, it, the print magazine, if you're into Dolce & Gabbana and sort of fashion and that sort of ilk, of course, it's a wonderful magazine. And it's been – the print magazine is just beautiful to look at, um, and uh, it reflects all things design. Um, so it's not all about Dolce & Gabbana, but it's all about design and fashion, and it's got food and architecture and art, and it's just a wonderful magazine. And the website is a new incarnation that they launched a couple of years ago, uh, which includes um, a lot of other content than that goes than, in addition to what goes in a print magazine, is updated much more frequently and is also something that just really drives um, 
a lot of new uh, Dolce Gabbana fans by having they've got print, they've got it included into social now, and it's all connected into their social strategy um, and their online publishing strategy. And uh, it's just a it's, it's a wonderful example uh, of fashion and how a fashion brand is actually using and evolving uh, a traditional content marketing play into something that is that is digital and feeding each other the content uh, off of both. So it's a one, I think just a great example of, of this old market. It, it, I don't know. I'm looking at it right now, Robert. It could be manipulation. I think they're trying to manipulate me. This is <laughs> sorry, or 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 drive some inbound result. Oh. Um, <laughs> all right, let's wrap we, it up, my friend. Let us get out yeah. of here. Okay, so you're off to uh, you're in Boston today, and then uh, when are you going home? Boston is. Um, I think I'm. A, oh no, I have uh, Wisconsin next week. Oh, fantastic! I'm traveling. I think you and I are both traveling. I think every week, and then we've got the master classes coming up. So I think they October isn't October really 22nd. I think our first one. I think that's, that's Denver. Correct. In Denver, in so, Denver, very, very much looking. So, by the to way, it. for those of you that don't know, we've got Robert and I will be at four master classes. We've got Denver, San Francisco, New York, and Charlotte this year. Denver and Charlotte yeah. are the new ones this year. So, if you're looking to come out and see us in person, we'll be there, and we'd love to talk to you and and get your take on inbound marketing. <laughs> See now I spit up on my <laughs> keyboard there. <laughs> okay, That's and it. and I'm sorry. Are you are you anywhere else? You're you're leaving New York, and we just just I'm ended. Going home. We just. Oh my goodness gracious! I got to go. I'm going. I'm in New York, and then I'm home next week, and um, and I'm traveling after that. That is it for Robert Rose, uh, Joe Polizzi. We got to sign off. Um, tweet us up, won't you? Hashtag this old marketing, and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, email us if you want this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number forty-seven, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. Or like Aaron, give us a wonderful review. All the links of everything we talked about on the show are available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on this old marketing.